Your Bibles, if you would, to the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue our look at this wonderful book today. Thank you for your um, faithfulness. I hope that you're uh, reading this and, and reading other and staying in the Word of God. I pray that you are. Um, there are things today that I will not be able to say because of time, but that I shouldn't need to say if you will just take what we are able to share with you this morning and sometime during this coming week read through these verses. I think you'll fill in some gaps that, that uh, I will leave, at least as far as application is concerned. It's very difficult to to um, to know actually I have to really in all of this of course depend upon the Lord but application is most difficult it's one thing to say what God's word says it's another thing to apply it to individual lives um, um, I, I I can't get involved in all that or I won't be able to get into all of this so. Um, please read through this and think about what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. So today, last week, we, we, we talked about the March of the Dead, and we had a wonderful time uh, <laughs> talking about zombies and the walking dead and that sort of thing. Um, uh, can't go into all of that again. You can probably listen to that if you are so inclined to do it. Walked around the town last night with grandkids and some others and saw some zombies. Um, I saw a lot of people named Rip who were buried. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Apparently, almost on every block, someone died by the name of Rip. And there they were. I don't know if it's amazing. Let me read this to you. And today's message, if I hadn't said this already, is the march of the dead goes on. We'll hopefully conclude this today. It is indeed a march. It is an organized process. Let me read just these three verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus. I'll stop there, but I wanted to just kind of give the end of this because the end is why the beginning is there. He's telling these Ephesians, this is the way you as non-believers were. This is the way all of us as unbelievers were. This is the way we lived. As a matter of fact, one of the uh, commentators I read entitled this, this passage, The Way We Were. And that's an okay, that's an okay way to say it. But the idea is that a change has happened and that were is past tense. This, you were this way. You're no longer this way. You've been changed. Thanks be to the grace and the goodness of God. So I started last week and I introduced it to you uh, talking about the sphere of the dead. A Christian uh, has lived in two worlds and is moving towards a third. So let me use the word sphere or world and kind of inter- interchangeably here. A Christian has lived in, in two spheres or worlds and is moving towards a third. First, the Christian at one time was dead to God. Alive to sin, but dead to God. And in sin, and, and we talked about this last week, that, that language there is, uh, has to do with location. It's, it's where we are. It's not what we think. It, it's 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 the realm or the sphere. That's where we're getting all this. It's the realm of the sphere of the dead. So a Christian was that way. It's what the apostle saying, and they are now alive to God by the grace of God. So two worlds, and then thirdly, there's this third and final state where we'll be, forever be in communion with Him. There's a consummation, with, and we'll have an immortal body. An unbeliever is dead, dead in sin, location, awaiting judgment. Now, I'm summing all this up, but here's what it is. He's awaiting judgment, and he is a sinner because he's a sinner. He sins because he's a sinner, and he can do nothing else. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Now, there's two spheres, and we touched upon this last week. The lost are imprisoned in sin and cannot, apart from God, even see that there is another sphere. Now, this is important. And I hope as we go through this, we'll, we can um, lay out some things that will help us understand all of this. Uh, let me, let me say this again. The, the lost are imprisoned in sin and cannot, apart from God, even see the other sphere. Now, I mentioned to you that we were going to go to John 3, so let, let's go there right now. We're, we'll come back to Ephesians in a little bit, but let's, let's go back to John 3. And this is just one example. I thought this was a good example um, Showing this, the blindness that's there. Showing these two spheres or these two worlds in, uh, in, in conflict. Um, listen to Jesus. And we're, we'll read several. I, I'm not going to comment on all the things that are here. Um, we're basically just going to read it. But listen to Jesus talk right past this very intelligent Leader of the Jews. He's a teacher. Jesus says, how can you be a teacher and don't know these things? 
So he's no dummy. He's 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 a smart man. He knows what's going on. He 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 knows to some degree the Old Testament, and and Jesus says things to him, and the man is absolutely, you know, dumbfounded by them. He, he's he's befuddled. So let me just begin reading here. I'm going to begin with verse three. It says Jesus answered him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I, I maybe should have said this when I started. One man speaking from one side, one man speaking from the other, one from one sphere, one from another. Listen to how they talk past each other. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I, that I said to you, you must be born again. Listen to this verse. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from, where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That one sentence. Jesus sums up everything that's going on. He says, Nicodemus, the reason you don't understand this is because you haven't been born of the Spirit. The wind's blowing out here. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going from. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher in Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness of what we have seen But you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe when I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except him who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to stop here for just a second and just kind of do a little survey. How many are following along here with what Jesus is saying? Put your hand up. Let's vote. Nicodemus was not. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment Light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness. Excuse me. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So, interestingly enough, 
Jesus kind of goes full circle with this. He starts asking Nicodemus questions. Nicodemus, or giving Nicodemus statements that lead to questions. Nicodemus can't answer the questions because he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus basically says to him, the reason you can't understand this is because you haven't, at the end here, we'll use the word light. You haven't seen this light yet. You don't know which way the wind is blowing. And then Jesus, very, very wisely, as all gospel message should, brings it to himself. He said, God loved the world and he sent his only son. He said, no one's ascended, but we have one who, is this, who has descended, who brings these truths and realities. The son of man, Jesus was referring to himself, and Nicodemus knew he was. And then Jesus went on to talk to him about faith and the gospel and condemnation. And then he once again closes this little section with Nicodemus by going back to this light and dark contrast again. This is people of dark, people in the light. And, you know, dark and light don't go together very well, do they? Wherever one is, the other is not. So, if we, if we in our thinking can come to this, the, the understanding that the lost live in a world that prevents them from seeing the world the believer lives in. The lost cannot understand what the believer understands. They cannot know what the believer knows. Jesus comes from the life sphere and Nicodemus is from the sphere of death and he cannot and he can't see and understand without the intervention of the Holy Spirit. So uh, listen to all the examples in there of these non-connecting spheres, these things that just don't mesh. And then he ends with darkness and light. Now, every believer will understand this phrase and the world won't. He who desires to keep his life will what? Lose it. I mean, you guys even know that you guys even know the verses, and I'm probably not even. <clears throat> I'm sure I'm not even quoting them correctly. Um, it's, it's interesting. There's this bondage that's there. Jesus said to the Pharisees, "He said, you don't understand me. You don't believe me because God is not your father. You are you you come from the father of lies. See this." God's the Father. He has truth. They come from the Father of lies. They're not going to re- reconcile. They can't reconcile with the truth. Jesus said this, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And he said that, and what, to, to those people who hated him and who were in darkness, that was utter nonsense. It took them decades to build that temple. How can he raise it up in three days? And we know, if you've read the scripture, you know that Jesus wasn't talking to him about the building. He was talking to him about his self. Hmm. Now, this is also in the Old Testament. You're going to see this, these two spheres constantly bumping, into, bumping heads in the Old Testament. So you've got passages like this. Do not cor- cor- correct a fool in his folly. And what's the next verse say? Correct a fool in his folly. All right. So you got this. You got this conflict all the time. Here's here's one. You'll you'll under, you'll remember this from Proverbs. The beginning of wisdom is what, the fear of God. So unless 
unless you can see and understand and know who the Lord is, which comes from the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in us that does that, if you can't see that and know that, you don't have the beginning of wisdom. The whole world lies in darkness, and it's the gospel that makes men free. And a man without God, regardless of what he thinks, he lives in bondage. Um, I'm going to read some quotes. Oh my, boy, the floor is a long way down there. All right, let me read some. Let me read some uh, quotes for you. This is a, this is a, a quote from Boyce uh, that has to do with this bondage. Now, um, it's part of a long section, and it could it could. Uh, it could bring a lot, a lot of discussion up, and we'll maybe talk about some of these things in the future. But what he's talking about here is the will, bondage of the will. And here's what he says. He, he's quoting uh, or paraphrasing Jonathan Edwards. He says, Edwards probably saw the matter most clearly. He said that the problem is not the will itself, since the will is simply the mind choosing what the mind deems best. The problem is with man's moral nature, which is opposed to God, and with the sinful motives that flow from that corrupt nature. Now, I'm going to stop right here. Because the sphere of the world will say, no, man is basically good. And if you understand that man is basically evil, then you're not in that sphere of the world anymore. I interrupted this, so I'll go back. It says, uh, the problem is with man's moral nature, which is opposed to God, and with the sinful motives that flow from that corrupt nature. Edwards declared that the will will is always free. We chose what we judge best in a given situation, but as sinners, we always judge wrongly. We think God undesirable. Hence, we always resist him and reject the gospel. Uh, I wrote in the bottom of this, if we think we're saved because we figured it out, we're wrong and we're probably not saved. You can't think yourself into it. It is a revelation of God through the, by the Holy Spirit that allows us to be set free. H- have you ever wondered how some of these social groups out here disparate in their in their basic function, can all agree to oppose righteousness. Strange bedfellows that come together. And the reason is because they're inspired and they're empowered by the prince of the power of the air. Let me go back here to Ephesians 2 so you know I'm not just not making that up. He says, um, in which we once walked, walked, remember the march here, the dead, following the course of this world, Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So these disparate groups come together and they oppose righteousness. They cannot submit themselves to the authority of God. They're, they're inspired, they're empowered by the prince of the power of the air, by the flesh, by their evil minds. And there is no healing, calming, sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit in them. So, you, you, may get, you may get angry or you may have some other, I maybe shouldn't even use that term or use, use that 
example because then I have to go on with all kinds of other examples. You, you, you may find yourself falling into some sin and you realize, and the Holy Spirit convicts you and you realize and you say, Lord, I'm sorry. I, the Holy Spirit is what's doing that. That doesn't happen in the world. The Holy Spirit is what who says, causes you to go to someone and say, please forgive me. I, I was wrong when I said what I said. I was angry or whatever it was when I said what I said. Please forgive me for doing that. So it's the Holy Spirit that does that. And out here in the world, that's not going on. The people are not listening because they can't. Now that book was voice. Let me read to you from um, MacArthur. Sinful men have many different ideas and standards, but they are in total agreement that the network of things in this world is more important than the divine perspective of God. Folks, how many, how many folks do you think in this community and communities around about us today are doing something else other than being in the house of God. How many people do you know who you think of that may call themselves Christians? Um, The things of this world is more important than the divine perspective of God. In this most basic world outlook, they are of one mind. They resolutely work to fulfill the goals and values of their system, though it defies God and always self-destructs. Sinners are persistent in their rejection, and, and the worse their system becomes, the more they try to justify it and condemn those who speak the word of God against it. Have we seen that in our culture? This is not a current book. This book was written several years ago. So let me read that last sentence. Sinners are persistent in their rejection, and the worse their system becomes, the more they try to justify it and condemn those who speak the word of God against it. We're seeing that all over the place. We even see that in churches. We even see that among, quote, close quote, Christian leaders. Um, that's why I call this the march of the dead I'm going to read that little passage again to you they have many different ideas and standards but they're in total agreement to the network of things in this world is more important than the divine perspective of God they are of one mind they resolutely work to fulfill the goals and values of their system so as you're out here in this coming week and you're functioning and you're paying your bills and you're going to work and you're listening to whatever is on the radio and you're hearing the news and you find things about politics and all of the stuff that's going on, I want you to realize that all of that worldly kingdom, the, the world, that system, cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S is the way we transliterate it in English, was, was the Greek word, that ordered system. That's what it is. That world out there, it's not just some random thing. We think it's just random. Oh, that just happened. No, it didn't just happen. 
Ultimately, God is sovereign and, he, he's sovereign and He allows things to happen because He could prevent anything from going on. And ultimately, as we, and I, I can't keep turning back to this, but in chapter 1, we, we realize that God has an eternal plan and a purpose. And those of us who were redeemed were called before the foundation of the world. Of the world. So this, this whole thing started long before any, uh, the devil or anything else came up. God was working in all of this. But when you, if you think out here that these things are just happening randomly, they're not. It, there is that system is an ordered system. The course of this world, the prince of the power of the darkness, prince of the power of the air, the course of this world, that world, that cosmos, that ordered system. That's why I call this the march of the dead. Because there is a process. These people are working and they're, 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 um, their purposeful order and, and they have a goal and they may be even unaware they may be mindless drones worker drones or pawns for the devil's end uh, let me read to you another quote from MacArthur's book here I got it open to walk according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air is to think and live according to the presuppositions, ideologies, and standards over which sin and Satan have control and to be dominated by evil supernatural beings. Now, some of you looked at the news and said stuff and says, well, that's demonic, and it is. It doesn't mean that person is possessed by a demon, but it means that the, the whole, the, the thing that is controlling their thinking their whole line of thought, their whole line of process, their motives. Remember, we said that, you know, in quoting Edwards, it's, it's not that their will isn't free. Yeah, they're choosing. They're choosing. This is all, that's all they know. And folks, they can't see anything else. And it's demon-inspired. So I'll go back to this. Have... Um, and over which sin and Satan have control and to be dominated by evil supernatural beings. Satan's supreme purpose for men is not to get them only to do evil things. The flesh will see to that. And he quotes Galatians 5, which says what the works of the flesh are. And you can read that if you want. But to think and believe evil things, especially about God. That, that is one of the most profound things that you, that you can come to grips with. Hath God really said, if you eat this, you will die? Listen carefully to this. Listen to the subtlety of it. God knows that when you eat it, you'll be like Him, knowing good and evil. And they looked at the fruit and they saw that it was pleasing to the eye. And they took it, and they disobeyed God. What did Satan do in the form of that serpent? He impugned the character of God. The world lives in a situation like that. This is the world system we live, which is why John in, in 1 John 2.15 says, don't love this world. And, and basically he says, if you love the world, the love of God is not in you. You can look that up. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, 
um, you know, it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what's Paul saying there? Paul's saying as believers, now we'll, we'll switch over here. We'll leave that sphere of death. We'll go into the sphere of life. As, as believers in this sphere of life, there is this process that takes place where we displace all of this old worldly stuff that we lived in. And that our, and, and our thinking changes. We begin to see things differently. We, you know, there's a light and we get, begin to move into that light. And the more we move into it, the, the more light that's there. It's, it's not that the, that it's diminished where we are. It's just that we can't see it. We see one thing and then we see another and then we see another and then we see another. I thank God because it was all God's grace that years ago I was in such a desperate state that I didn't want to live. And, and that was all brought about because of the brokenness and sin of this world and, and the brokenness and sin in me. And in that state, the Lord showed Himself to me. I didn't accept Him. He grabbed me. So I'm not understand that. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul said, in our common vernacular, if we wrote it the way Paul did, he says, I was arrested. Paul was taken. And I was so... I, I, I saw something and I said, oh man, I want to see more of that. And, and so, thank God, I... When, when I went to church, and I've said this to you before, and my heart grieves, but I've said this to you before, I, I went home with those sermon notes, and then I, I had a study Bible, and I looked, and I read the verse, and I look over here, well, in my study Bible, it's got this reference, so I go to that one, and, and it would take me a week to go through three or four verses, just looking at all the references and writing other things in my notes. And some folks will say, how do you know this much? This stuff, Richard, because for 45, 50, 50, almost 50 years I've been reading this book. And not only reading it, I've been thinking about it. Some of us will go home today and we won't think about it until next week. Even though all during the week the Holy Spirit will be trying to remind you. So, Paul says here, you leave this world behind. You, 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 you get, into, get into this book. Let your mind be renewed and, and you'll move away from that prince of the power of the air, from the world and from the flesh. You'll move away from all that bondage and, and you'll move into freedom. Turn with me again. Again, we'll come back to Ephesians. We'll go back to the book of Romans. And let me read this to you again here. Or, uh, I'm sorry... I'm going to read it again. (laughs) Romans chapter 8. I think we've referred to this once already. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is a law that's working. And the law 
keeps those in sin and death in sin and death until they are set free by the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. They cannot escape. They cannot set themselves free. They cannot do it on their own. And if you're sitting here and you understand what I'm saying, you should thank God that you do. Because that means the Holy Spirit has shown those things to you. For God has done what the law, verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now we could, we could dig down into this and talk about flesh. I want to get into all that. I want to keep it broader today and just think of these two spheres, life and death, life and death. We're going to see a little bit later, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. If you live according to the Spirit, there's life. So let's just think about it in that perspective today. There's a spirit of death, there's a spirit of life. Those who live according to the Spirit set their mind. Uh, um, let me back up. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God, don't think for a minute that even as a believer, the world isn't constantly tugging and pulling and bombarding you with its, its propaganda all the time, trying to get you to think like the world, trying to get you to complain, trying to get you to whine, trying to get you to feel sorry for yourself, trying to get you to act just like the world, trying to get you to be violent when they're violent. I told myself I wasn't going to do a lot of interpretation here or application, but I'm doing it anyway, aren't I? Sorry. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Verse 9, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the dead, excuse me, because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I'm going to summarize those couple of verses, three verses by saying this. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a believer. And if you have the Holy Spirit, he's going to bring life even to life at the end when he will resurrect you. The same power that changed Jesus will change you. So then, brother, verse 12, we are debtors. Not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
And if children and heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Good old Paul and his run-on consciousness keeps going on there until he talks about suffering. But it's a valid point. Do you realize how the world sees suffering as a problem? And a believer should see suffering as something in the hand of God that God that come to them from the hand of God that God wants to use in their life. Churches all over the English-speaking world today will be teaching you how to avoid suffering. Teaching people how to avoid suffering. Six steps to have financial victory. Four steps to have victory in your marriage. Fifteen steps to never have to eat vegetables again. I just threw that in there. Are you not listening? I just, that last one wasn't, that wasn't a real one. Although it should be. We are debtors not to the flesh. As if we live according to the flesh, we will die. Now, I've got to close this out here. Let's talk about wrath. Look at the last verse here. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, we already read John 3.16, which says that the world was already in, under condemnation, and that God sent His Son not to condemn the world, but to save it, because the world was already under condemnation. We're by nature children of wrath. Now, I want to read to you once again from... Boyce here, if I can find this, um, a couple of paragraphs that will kind of put this in perspective. Think carefully with me as I read this. I hear someone saying wrath. Do you say, did you say wrath? Is that it, what you say? I can hardly believe you're serious. How can anyone possibly talk about the wrath of God today? I know the idea is in the Bible in obscure places, but surely it's something Christians today should be embarrassed about and try as hard as possible to repudiate. Speak of God's love, speak of mercy, even justice, but not wrath. At least if you want to be taken seriously by people living in our century. Okay? So he, 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 he makes this argument and then he shoots it to pieces. And you've heard that argument and if you haven't, you know, just let me tell you that that argument is going on in theological circles. As a matter of fact, we have a hymn in our book. Um, I don't have this in my notes. So I can't remember the name of the hymn. But we have a hymn in our book that talks about Jesus Christ who satisfied the wrath of God. And a denomination called those people and said, we want to put you in our hymn book and we'll, you know, we'll give you money. We'll put you in our hymn book. We want to change that line. Because nobody wants to hear about that anymore. And they said, no. What's the name of the hymn? In Christ Alone. So, uh, I, I don't know when James Montgomery Boyce wrote this book. Um, 1997, 1988, 
1988. So here he says, I hear the objection, but it is an example of the very bondage about which Paul has been writing. What's Boyce saying? Boyce is saying, if you object to the concept of the wrath of God, you're in the wrong sphere. You're like Nicodemus, and you can't understand it. And you, you look, and you, and you're, you know, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, they're talking right by you. You can't grasp it. The worldly mind does not take God's wrath seriously because it does not take sin seriously. Yet if sin is as bad as the Bible declares it to be, nothing is more just or reasonable than that the wrath of a holy God should rise against it. Now let me give you one more little section here about wrath. And, and it's, it's not a complete theological explanation, but it will give you a good leg up on the concept. Taken together, these passages indicate that God's wrath is consistent. Listen to these words. Consistent, controlled, and judicial. And he talks about, he talks about the words in the New Testament that are, that are used, used of wrath. And, and interestingly, one of them has to do with this um, rolling and building momentum. So let me read these words again. It is consistent, it is controlled, and it is judicial. And I'm going to continue to read. That is what makes it so frightening. The doctrine of wrath does not mean that God merely gets angry from time to time, lashes out in anger, and then forgets about it. It is rather that His wrath is an inevitable and growing opposition to all that is opposed to His righteousness. How much more frightening is the certainty of the judgment of God? It's not just some outburst. And, 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 and you may think, well, people, you know, well, that would be frightening. Yeah, you might, you might, you know, walk on eggshells and be very careful and, 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 and because you're afraid. Of, and that's kind of the way the world thinks it is. You know, I'm going to do this or God will smash me or do this. And then, that's, that's darkness. Once you realize what the wrath of God is, you realize it is certain. It is inevitable. It will happen. He must, because he's righteous, because he's holy, he must judge sin. He will judge us. There's only one thing in the way. And that's the cross of Jesus Christ. Whereupon his righteous wrath fell on Jesus. And Jesus took the judgment of all our sin. Let me say that again. Do it correctly. Jesus took the judgment of all our sins. And Jesus took the judgment of all our sin. And not only ours, for all the saints the past for all the saints in the future he took it all he bore the weight of God's wrath my God my God why have you forsaken me
Now let me share one more thing. Did I say that before? Good. I'm glad I didn't because I knew there was one more. I have it written right down here. Final thing. And next week we'll talk about something other than the dead. I want to talk to you about preaching. I want to read to you, um, it's kind of a long paragraph. It's here in orange for those of you who can see well. (laughs) From George Whitfield. He, uh, he, he talked, uh, the author here, Boyce, is moving into verse 4 where it says, but God who is rich in mercy, you know, so he's transitioning. And so he goes back to quote Whitfield and how Whitfield explains it. But when I read it, I thought, how would this fly today? Listen to what Whitfield says. Come ye dead, Christless, Unconverted sinners, come and see the place where they lay the body of the deceased Lazarus. Behold him laid out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, locked up and stinking in a dark cave with a great stone placed on the top of it. View him again and again. Go nearer to him. Be not afraid. Smell him. Oh, how he stinketh. Was he bound hand and foot with grave clothes? So art thou bound hand and foot with, the, with thy corruptions. And as a stone was laid on the sepulchre, so there is a stone of unbelief upon thy stupid heart. Perhaps thou hast lain in this state not only four days, but many years, stinking in God's nostrils. And still what is more affecting, thou art as unable to raise thyself out of this loathsome dead state to a life of righteousness and true holiness as ever Lazarus was to rise himself, raise himself from the cave in which he lay so long. Thou mayest try thy power of thine own boasted free will and the force and energy of moral persuasion and rational arguments which without doubt, with, without all doubt, have their proper place in religion. But all thy efforts exerted with never so much vigor will prove fruitless and abortive till that same Jesus who said, Take away the stone and cried, Lazarus, come forth, also quicken you. Where today is the judgment of God preached like that? Uh, don't get lost on the word stupid. It meant something different in Whitfield's time. It's the nuances that were different, and he calls them stupid than they were. And we are, and we were. I love the songwriter who said, I love this song, I once was blind, now I'm nearsighted. Still can't see very well, but I see better than I could. Where, where today is, is the sure judgment of God and the terribleness of sin preached with conviction and compassion? Where, where, where is the truth heard? Where are men told of their need of Christ and their inability to save themselves like Whitfield did? 
Where is the good news which he put at the end of that? Jesus Christ can set you free and lift that stone. Where is this heard so the blessed Holy Spirit can confirm that truth in hearts? I pray it be here. And I pray it be in your testimonies. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by the blessed, undeserved gift of your grace, you have by your Holy Spirit caused us to see beyond the death and moved us from that number of mindless, unknowing drones into the sphere of life and light. And Lord, we didn't even talk about joy and victory and peace. We didn't even talk about those things. It's enough just to be free. Stir our hearts with it. Confirm it in our hearts. Confirm it in our words. Draw us into your word and help us be faithful with our witness to the saving power of Jesus Christ. In whose name I pray these things. Amen.